Are you ready for the word of the Lord? Is that an enthusiastic yes or a casual yes? Or Okay. <clears throat> you know, I was sharing with some, a couple of folks this morning. Those of you who are pastors in the room, if you've, if you've pastored, um, and uh, certainly Richard Plunk would know this and other, others in the room, the pastoral pulpit is uh, quite a responsibility. And uh, it's, it's different than the role of an evangelist, different than the role of a teacher, different than the, any of the other of the fivefold gifts given to us in Ephesians. <clears throat> There's, it requires a, um, a sensitivity to the, the people that you serve. And uh, it really, it's very humbling. And it requires you to stay uh, before the Lord in determining what you should share with the people. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give you a pastoral message this morning, okay? Uh, you'll understand that after, after we get into it. Take your Bibles. Uh, this morning I want to bring you two specific words to the forefront of your attention. It's two words that you know very well. And the two words that I want to talk about today are faith and favor. So we certainly know what faith is. Uh, Hebrews gives us a very good definition. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, possibly a simpler definition would be this, that faith is a complete trust in God. A complete trust. Can you say that with me? A, comp <coughs> a reliance upon God. That's what faith is. So then how are we defining favor today? Well, when you ask some uh, Christians, how are you doing today, it's become a very popular response to have them say, I am blessed and highly favored, blessed and highly favored. But I want to suggest to you today that the word favored means that God has smiled upon you and that you are enjoying special privilege or special advantage, uh, possibly either for a season even for, it could be for a particular circumstance that it's uh, heaven has smiled upon you, God has smiled upon you, and there's certain privilege that has come your way, certain advantage that has come your way. The favor of the Lord is usually related to you receiving some measure of resource, um, particularly something like influence. Maybe God has given you influence over someone or uh, or your workmates, or people, people that you work with, people that you relate to, um, possibly the person that you work for. So it's a person or a group of people that you've been resourced to have influence. Maybe God has given you a voice to speak to a person or a group of people, whether that be large or small, what, whatever it is. You would say, God has given me favor with this person. And so that's what the favor of the Lord is. Uh, another resource is, is respect. Maybe God has favored you with, by earning the respect of a certain group of people. Certainly finances is a part of that. God has favored you if he's, if he's uh, proven once again to be Jehovah Jireh, your provider. So faith, complete trust in God. Favor, enjoying special privilege. By far the most common way that we would think of these two words together would be in those moments and those seasons of our lives when we are asking God for faith to believe for and to receive favor. 
asking God for faith to receive favor. God, give me faith to believe that you'll give me favor with my boss. God, give me faith to believe that you will favor me with the financial provision that you know that I need. In those instances, faith is asking for favor. But I'm going to flip it upside down on you today, and I'm going to ask you to consider that there are also moments, seasons of your life whereby you discover that you have received God's favor, becomes apparent to you that the favor of God has come to you in some measure, but that favor now requires faith to do whatever it is God is asking you to do and to fulfill the reason why he has bestowed you with the favor that he has. In other words, in that situation, favor is asking for faith. It's the opposite. Now, most typically, when we are talking about these two words coming together, it's faith first and favor second, where we are asking God for faith to receive God's favor. But this morning, we're going to consider the possibility that you may be in a season of favor first and faith second. How many of you are still with me? I know it's a bit of an abstract uh, concept to get a hold of. I'm, I'm trying to communicate as, as clearly as I can for us to see what God is, is saying to us. Where you receive God's favor, but now you need faith to walk it out. Now you need the faith with God's favor upon you to fulfill the purpose that, for which he has given you the favor that he has granted to you. Faith and favor. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel, in the Old Testament you'll find it. And let's allow this passage to serve as our text and as illustration of the specific point I'm trying to make to you today. While you're turning to Ezekiel, let me just ask the Lord to give, give us grace. Lord, I'm asking you to give wings to my words today. I have so learned, Holy Spirit, you are capable of taking the weakness of my words and the frailty of my thoughts and doing incredible things with them as your people open their hearts and their ears to hear your word today. So speak to us through your holy word. We need you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church said, Amen. <coughs> excuse me, speaking on behalf of the Lord, the Hebrew prophet Ezekiel says this in Ezekiel 36, I begin at verse 22. It's quite a bit of reading, but follow with me. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. This is the Lord giving this to Ezekiel. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nation. God is saying to the people of Israel, you were, you were set apart to be a people who would bring glory to my name everywhere that you went. But for whatever reason, you changed your focus and you ended up resenting me as deficient before the people. And so I'm not giving you this favor because you have adequately presented who I am to your generation. That's not why. No, 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 no. I'm doing it for my own holy name's sake. So let's first understand this, that if God grants you favor in some measure, it is not necessarily because you deserve it. 
Is there an amen? It's not time for you to go strutting around, flexing your spiritual muscles when God gives you favor. In fact, it says nothing about you, and it says everything about the sovereign God. Verse 23, he says, I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I'm the Lord. God is, God is saying, I'm giving you favor, which means I'm going to do something in you, and I'm going to do something through you, and it will bring my name to reputation. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to do it because of my great mercy. How many are thankful for God's mercy today? Verse 24, for I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. I'm going to give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. Talk about favor. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. How many want favor today, church? And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And you will live in Israel, the land I gave your ancestors long ago. You will be my people, and I will be your God. I will cleanse you of your filthy behavior. I will give you good crops of grain, and I will send no more famines on the land. I will give you great harvests from your fruit trees and fields. And never again will the surrounding nations be able to scoff at your land for its famines. And then you will remember your past sins and despise yourselves for all the detestable things that you did. That's called repentance, folks. It's what we're going to focus on again in September as we go into the month of Yom Kippur, Rosh Hashanah. Dr. Marty will be helping to lead us. You will remember your past sins and despise yourselves for all the detestable things you did. But remember, says the sovereign Lord, I am not doing this because you deserve it. Oh, my people of Israel, the truth is you should be utterly shamed, ashamed of all that you have done. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When I cleanse you from your sins, I will repopulate your cities and the ruins will be rebuilt. The fields that used to lie empty and desolate in plain view of everyone will again be farmed. And when I bring you back, people will say, the former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. The abandoned and ruined cities now will have strong walls and are filled with people. Then the surrounding nations that survive will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruins and replanted the wasteland. For I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do what I say. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm ready to hear Israel's prayers and to increase their numbers like a flock. They will be as numerous as the sacred flocks that filled Jerusalem's streets at the time of her festivals. The ruined cities will be crowded with the people once more and everyone will know that I am the Lord. I don't know about you, church, but when I read this, my heart cries out, oh God, let your favor rest upon your people once again. Talk about favor. Did you hear what we just read? How God showered his favor upon his people. God, let your favor rest upon your people once again. Are you with me this morning, church? We know we don't deserve it, 
but do it for your name's sake, O oh God, that our day and our generation will know that you and you alone are the Lord. Faith and favor, most often it works like this. We start to read the word of the Lord. We see God's promises to us. And somehow it causes us to recognize our own deficiency. And let me give you an example. When the Bible tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, most husbands, if they're honest, will look at that and say, oh God, I am so far away from that. I cannot possibly measure up. Even to, as much as I love my wife, but to love my wife with the, the way you have loved the church and gave yourself for her. And so God, but today I see it in your word. I know that you are commanding me to do this. And so God, I'm asking by faith, I'm believing by faith that as I ask you to do this in me, your favor will come upon me. That's typically how we see faith and favor working together. And by the way, folks, that's one reason why we have to be steadfast and diligent to read the Word of the Lord. Because otherwise, you're never going to grow if you're not reading the Scriptures. You may, you may pursue excitement to excitement. You may chase fires here and chase fires there. You may run after this high, experiential high, after that experiential high. But I'm telling you, ultimately, it will grow very cold and very old and very dim. We have to be in the Word of the Lord to grow. I said we have to be in the word of the Lord to grow. But as we've read in our text this morning, there are these seasons in history where the favor of God comes to God's people. And usually it's when we're least expecting it, not, not even looking for it. And that favor of God upon us requires us to then believe that God has chosen us to do something chosen us to, to do something through us for his glory. And so now it's favor first, then asking, then asking us for faith to believe it. You want to know the easiest way to recognize when God's in something? I'm not going to say this is a foolproof way, but one of the ways you can absolutely know when God's in something is because when the whole thing seems outrageous and preposterous to you. Am I telling the truth, those of you who have walked with God for years? You can almost be sure it's God when it's a thought you would have never had and when it's asking something that seems outrageous, uh, preposterous, and as much as anything, it's way beyond anything you can do. Somebody give me an amen for that this morning. But here's the important thing for us to know and recognize this morning. In these seasons of God granting his favor to his people, granting his favor to us. God is not granting us his favor because we're asking him for a moment of divine intervention. That would be faith first, favor second. God is not granting us his favor because we're asking him for this moment of divine intervention, but rather it's because other people are. And God has chosen us to help them. Other people are asking. Other people are crying out. Other people are believing in faith. Other people are beseeching God. Bethesda, if only we had ears to hear today. I wonder how many people of our community go to bed crying every night. And when I say community, yes, I'm talking about Northeast Tarrant County. I'm talking about Fort Worth. I'm also talking about Bethesda Church. 
our community. How many people go to bed crying every night? How many single mothers have no idea how they're gonna feed their children this week? How many fathers are crying out because they're tired of yelling at and abusing their families and they can't seem to get their anger under control, but they're crying out to God for his help? How many people are hopelessly addicted to drugs and alcohol or sexual addiction with their mind in the grip of a claw that seems to have a, such a firm grip on them they cannot break free from it at all and it's destroying the quality of their life and they're calling out and crying out, many of them without even knowing that God can help them. What if we had ears to hear it today? The sounds that are really taking place in the hearts of men and women sitting in this room the sounds of men and women that are, that are in the totality of this campus today, the sounds of men and women around us, what if we had ears to hear it? We would surely be overwhelmed. But here's one thing we can know for sure. We may not be able to hear them, but God can. And God is. And God answers their cry through his people, whereupon he bestows his favor upon us. Now there's some curious and interesting things about this thing we call the favor of God. He doesn't come to us with his favor when we feel the strongest. Doesn't work like that. He doesn't come to us with his favor when we have it all together or our program is impeccable or, or we've done it all right and we have all of our ducks in a row. No, what we see throughout history is that he comes to us at a time when we really don't have any natural strength to perform what he is asking us to do. Let me give you an example from Exodus chapter, chapter three. Then the Lord told Moses, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where all the ites live, okay? Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. I just want to note with you today, God did not come to Moses when he had it all together. He came to him after it was all falling apart. That's when God came. That's when God placed his favor. He didn't come to him when he was at the pinnacle of strength and influence and authority, and he looked strong. No, he, God came to him when he stuttered. And even then, most of the time, the only ones who were there to listen to him were the sheep he was looking after on the backside of the desert. But we find that God came to Moses as a visible sign. I want you to know God is very capable of doing that even today. Good morning, hello. God is capable of giving a visible sign even today. How many times have you and I both said, I just wish he had an airplane flying by with a little message behind it telling me exactly what to do? Well, it may not be that, but God is perfectly capable of giving a visible sign. It's that thing you can't ignore. You just can't turn away from it. 
It's captured your attention and you, you see it and you can't turn your eye away from it. You're reading your Bible and something leaps off the page and you can't ignore it. It's that thing you can't ignore. You remember that God came to Moses as a burning bush and Moses simply couldn't turn away from what he literally saw before, could not ignore it. So for you and me, sometimes we're reading the Word and it pops off the page and you recognize that God is trying to speak to you, which is the best way for you to hear God. Dare I say it, did you know that it's possible God could speak to you through a sermon? Ooh, that was a weak amen. Oh, sure hoping for something better than that. God can speak to you through any way he wants to speak to you. Church, he is God. He is the sovereign one. If he can use the jawbone of a donkey, surely we can all understand God can use anything. In the case of Moses, it was the burning bush. It was his visible sign that his favor had come to Moses. And God can give a visible sign to you that his favor has come upon you. He's, he's not necessarily asking you for the faith to procure his favor. His favor has come to you. He's asking that now that you have his favor, he's asking you now for faith to believe that his favor has come in spite of your struggles, in spite of the imperfections of your family, in spite of your past failures, in spite of your weakness, in spite of your age, no matter what it is that you are doing or that you have done, suddenly, simply because someone else is crying out to God, his favor comes to you and his favor rests upon you. And he says, I'm going to give you the ability to bring others out of captivity. Hallelujah. But you know what? You cannot do it by might. You cannot do it by power, nor by any human strength or reasoning. You will only be able to do it by the Spirit of God. And all he requires of you then is faith. Somebody say hallelujah. Faith. Faith to get up and believe that in the ridiculousness of the preaching of the cross, as the world sees it, there's such a power that even the most powerful army and the most powerful leader on the face of the earth will bend its knee before God. But notice that it's now favor first, faith second. God came to Gideon, not at a time when Gideon had it all together. Now Gideon is a type of the church. He's just trying to eke out a living. He's trying to survive. He's trying to thresh wheat in private, if you will. He's trying to study the Holy Scripture and embrace truth, even though there was such a hostility in that generation toward the truth that an encroaching army would come in every year and simply devour everything that the people of God were trying to achieve. Does that sound familiar to anybody today? It would almost seem that an encroaching army is rising up to devour every expression of prayer in this country. It's, it's trying to devour every mention of God in our schools. It's devouring everything of virtue, everything of morality, everything that is right and honest and good. It's this encroaching army that, that seems to be coming along to steal everything that the people of God have established and hold dear. Well, that's what happened to Gideon when suddenly... 
a messenger appears before Gideon in Judges chapter 6. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. What, I, what it specifically means is more like this. The Lord is with you, you mighty man or mighty woman of resource. God's favor is on you. God's resources upon you, whether it's influence, finances, uh, giving you a voice, whatever it is. The Lord is with you, mighty man, mighty woman of valor, person of, of resource. You, you, you have been given something of God to do something that God has called you to do. And the truth is you have a power that you don't even know or understand that you have. And so let's be honest, Gideon did not come across as a mighty man filled with faith, did he? His response was this, in verse 13 of Judges 6, Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Uh, It's clearly not like he was believing in faith that God was going to grant him favor. But the point is this, the favor came to him when he least expected it, and he was needing faith to believe. His situation, like Moses, was favor first. Wasn't expecting it. Wasn't even looking for it. Now faith second. Because he was struggling with unbelief. Where are you, God? Is your power long gone? I heard what you did through Moses. I heard what you did when the people were captive in Egypt. But oh my goodness, that was so long ago. And now things have have changed. And you've found, God, you found some inexplicable flaw in us. And you've walked away from us. And you're you're, you're not going to use us for your glory any longer. And you've delivered us now into the hands of our enemy. Verse 14 says, Then the Lord to him and said, Lord turned to him and said, So, go in this might of yours. I think it would also be appropriate to say, go in this favor of yours that I've placed upon you. Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? The Lord was saying, the favor of God has come to you. Now, Gideon, now I'm asking you to believe. Favor first, faith second. I'm asking you to believe that if you will be willing to be visible and vulnerable and boldly declare the truth that you know, then I will use your life to deliver the people and take their captors captive. Now, you and I know the story of Gideon, and we know that in the natural, it was a ridiculous, absolutely absurd military plan to take 300 men, put a torch in a clay jar, smash the jar on the top of a mountaintop with 135,000 soldiers standing against you. Don't you think the odds might have been stacked against them a bit? And then to lift the torch high and shout, a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. But what we're saying here today is this, and we dare not ever forget it. Our God is able to do what God says he will do through whom God says he will do it. Church, God is God. 
He's the sovereign almighty one. Let nothing nations exalt themselves. Let not the heathen boast against God. Let no power of hell and darkness say, aha, we have the people of God now in captivity. Let not arrogance boast itself in any generation. For God is, and God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Let the church say amen today. Second Corinthians chapter 1, Paul the apostle talks about a time in his own life and the lives of those who were with him when it appeared that all was lost. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, we think you ought to know, or would not have you to be ignorant brother, brethren, some versions say, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our uh, ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Don't raise your hand, but is that anybody, does that describe anybody here this morning? I have a feeling it does. There's some in this room this morning who could stand and say, if not cry out to the rest of us, brothers and sisters, could you pray for me? I'm in so much trouble. I'm so pressed down on every side. I am so out of strength that I don't even know if I can go on living. And I surely don't want to live like this. I know there are people in this room who could say that. Who would say that this morning? In fact, if this is, some would go so far as to say, if this is going to be the bane of my existence, I, I, I'm ready to check out now. I don't even want to live anymore. But I want you to see what Paul then went on to say. Talked about how bad things were, pressed on every side, crushed, overwhelmed, uh, beyond their ability to endure, thought they would never live through it. And then he says, but as a result, can I just tell you, I love those little conjunctions, little three-letter words. The psalmist uses them all the time, but yet. That's what, that's what I hang on to when I read Scripture. And I come to a passage and I hear, I see the humanity of life. I see how real their circumstances were. And then we come to, I'm waiting for the conjunction. Here it comes. But, but as a result, we stop relying upon ourselves. And we learn to rely upon God, who, by the way, raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. Hallelujah. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. Come on, let the church say, bless the Lord. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord for his faithfulness to us today. The favor of God came to Moses in his old age in his weakness, in his failure. Favor of God came to Gideon in his lack of supply, his lack of any ability to go forward at all in his own strength. Favor of God came to Paul when Paul knew, I'm not able to go on in my own strength, but there is an inner strength of God in me and I believe that it will be as God has said it's going to be. God said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. God help us to come back to the point we know God has said it. We can count on his word. It may not look like it today. Every encroaching army may be facing me and confronting me and trying to push me back today. But I'm on the Lord's side. And I believe God will do what God said he will do. 
I believe that all things are working together for my good because I love God and I am called according to his purpose. And Paul would say, I believe that though I may be bound, the word of God cannot be bound. My circumstances may be dire, I may be in a mess, but the word of God is not bound in any way. Why do I believe? Because God has planted a resolve deep within my heart that that all things are still possible to those who believe. That's what the word of the Lord says. At the end of Paul's life, he could say, Christ has appeared to me time and time again. He appeared to me when I was in deep trouble. He appeared to me when I was in prison. Uh Uh-huh. He appeared to me when I was in places where it seemed impossible to go forward. Christ has appeared to me, he said, and given me strength that could only come from God to do what God has called me to do. Bethesda, the word of God did not come to us by men and women who lived in a hammock. They were forged on an anvil. You read it in the book of Hebrews. They were sawed in two, sawed in half. They were ridiculed on the earth. They had difficulties and they had trials. Every obstacle, every opposition that could possibly have taken place. The torch, though, kept being passed from one to another, to another, to another. And finally today, in 2021, it is in our hands. I don't know about you, but I thank God that those who have gone before us did not choose a life of ease. They didn't pander to their fleshly propensity to back off and take it easy and take the easy way out. I'm glad that's not what our heritage is. Thank God they went to prayer meetings. Thank God they persevered in prayer. Thank God they understood spiritual authority. Thank God they lived for a higher purpose than just being happy. Thank God the Holy Spirit could get a hold of their hearts, could speak to them dynamically and change the course of their lives, and they were listening. And Paul said, and finally there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Who have loved his appearing. Who have loved his coming to us with divine favor. Who have loved it, loved, who have loved it when God has called us in our weakness and not in our strength. Who have loved it when God has commissioned us to do something that we know is hopeless if God is not with us. All those who have loved his appearing. But that is that we are living in a moment of God's favor, whether you recognize it or not. We are living in a season and in a moment of God's favor. Pastor Daniel, you know we're in a pandemic? Uh Uh-huh. Sure do. But we are still living in a season of God's favor. We are living in a moment where the Lord is calling his people to pray like never before. That's why I'm asking you to be with us at six o'clock tonight for us to pray for Afghanistan, for us to pray for Haiti, for us to pray for the expressions through embrace grace that take place from this house so that babies will be snatched from the doors of abortion clinics. That's why I'm asking us to come and pray for those precious missionaries you just met a few moments ago who've laid their lives on the line for the gospel. We can be part of lifting them before the Lord. We are living in a divine moment 
where he is determined to glorify his own name one last time from coast to coast, from town to town, from city to city, from church to church, from block to block, from house to house. By the grace of Almighty God, this is a moment of divine favor. And now he asks us for faith. Faith for what? Faith to believe. You know, Moses could have stayed in the desert. Gideon could have stayed hiding behind his father's house. I understand the temptation. Esther could have hid in the palace. I hadn't talked about her. Mary could have said, no thanks. Remember when the angel appeared to her and said, blessed are you who's highly favored. Blessed art thou among women. And she was not asking for a baby at that time. You are highly favored of the Lord. And then after God revealed to her his plan, he then asked her for faith. For her, it was favor first, faith second. And what was her response? Be it unto me then, according to your word. Favor asked for faith. And for us now, folks, this is where the rubber hits the road. It's when you and I, the vessels of God, the church of the Lord Jesus, the testimony of God in the earth today, we can identify with Moses. We certainly can identify with Gideon. We can identify with Mary. We can identify with all of them in their humanity. I certainly can. But can we identify with them when they moved in their weakness and in their smallness into that which became known about them and is still known today? Can we move with them in our smallness? Can we yield when God begins to speak? Can we walk through the door which God sets before us? And can we believe that our prayers matter whatsoever. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I know this service has gone a little long this morning, and we're going to conclude in just a moment. If you'll stay with us two more minutes, please. Respect the house of the Lord. I want to pray this prayer together. I'm going to ask you to please repeat after me. Lord, let your favor be on me. Okay, that's not going to work. We do things with passion here. We do things that like we believe in it, like our very lives depend upon it. Lord, let your favor be on me for the sake of others. Let your favor be on me, O God. Speak to me again, not for my sake, for my name is already written in the Lamb's book of life. But for the sake of others, would you let your favor come to me again? Your favor and calling, whatever it is you have for my life, will you open my heart to it? And would you give me a heart to believe that you will use my life supernaturally for their good, not for my good, 
for the good of others. It may lead me to jail, but it will bring freedom to others. So let your favor be upon me. Let your favor be upon us. For your name's sake we pray. Amen and amen. Now give the Lord praise today in this house.